Hey friends, welcome to the Thrive Like a Parent podcast. You know those parents who look like they've got it all together? Yep, that's not me. I'm Dr. Brooke Weinstein, mom, widow, and neuroscience expert on all things sensory and emotional regulation. Yep, that's right. I'm here to get down and dirty on the truth behind parenting, education, burnout, neuroscience, widowhood, and the shit show we call life. So come join me for conversations with thought leaders, doctors, and women just like you who aren't afraid to speak the truth and help you find that silver lining between the to-do lists, shit shows, and chaos of parenthood. If you are craving the answers to finally find that sweet spot between chaos and calm, pull up a seat and listen in as I take you from burnt out and surviving to finally thriving. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Thrive Like a Parent podcast. Today, I am so, so excited. We have the tired dad hanging out with us today, also known as John Gustin. And I got to say, I've watched your stuff for a really long time, especially through the pandemic and lockdown. Like, you were just a great, oh, look, there's a dad doing this too. Like, there was so much mom stuff of like, moms are exhausted and moms are tired. But you, we're such a breath of fresh air, and I'm so, so excited to have you on the podcast today. So welcome so much. Thank you for having me, Brooke. I had no idea that you followed me that long. I yeah. You just found me. Yeah, I did. I did. I, um, you know, you don't know where your stuff goes, right? Like you yeah. don't know virtually who sees it and where it goes. And right. you for sure popped up, I, probably because I was hitting all the mom stuff, looking and seeing what moms were talking about. And so, of course, it would relate to all parents. And that's kind of why it showed me stuff of yours, too, as well. Um, I want to really dive in today and help everyone who's listening to kind of it's extremely, extremely important to me that we not only talk about the mom side of life, but the dad side of life. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you very much know that that's a passion of mine. And I just recently did a full week on dads and it included one of your reels. And there's others that I've done as well um, that I haven't posted yet, but I would love to just kind of allow our listeners to hear from your lens, what it's been like and your individual journey. And I would love to kind of start off with you kind of telling us, how did you even get into this? How did you decide to step into TikTok and insert, like, how did you decide to do this even at all? Yeah. Um, by complete accident, honestly. Um, I've been a personal trainer for 13 years and when the pandemic hit, obviously everything stepped back. My gym closed that I was working at. I still did some outside stuff with clients, but it led a lot of free time, which was good and bad because we had, um, my son was born at the end of 2019. So I guess he could be considered a pandemic baby. And, uh, he was rough. He's our second born. He was rough. So, um, it was nice to have that time with him and my wife was home too. So we were just at home all the time. And that's what kind of led into the whole TikTok, just silly videos. My wife was on it first. I always tell the story. She started doing the, you know, the dances and stuff. I Mm -hmm. thought it was lame. I was like, no way am I getting on that app. That's stupid. You know, all the stuff. And then I started just posting 
funny videos about being a dad or being a parent. And um, it resonated with a lot of people. And I realized quickly that people liked seeing the dad's point of view. Like mm -hmm. we were discussing before we started, everybody knows that moms are tired. It's hard for moms, depending on your dynamic. If you're a stay-at-home mom, it's extremely hard. And I just kind of brought in, because me and my wife have a split dynamic. Mm -hmm. So we both work, we're both self-employed. We didn't want to put our kids into full-time daycare. So we split our schedules up. So one's at home, one's at work. And we did that, we decided that before we had kids. Mm -hmm. So we have a very split dynamic. So I know what she's going through and she knows what I'm going through because we're doing the same thing. 50-50. You know, work in life Teamwork, and also yep. being at home with the kids mm -hmm. and the frustrations of a newborn, toddler, all that. So yeah, it just started with silly videos and flash forward almost three years later, mm -hmm. um, I've obviously dove into some deeper stuff and that's just me stepping out of my comfort zone and being vulnerable about what I did go through in the past, like when we first had our firstborn and just kind of the thoughts over the years and didn't know that it would resonate with that many fathers and mm -hmm. dads and no mm -hmm. idea. Um, I just put it out there. I was like, you know, we'll see. I'll have fun with it. And uh, yeah, it's kind of led into something bigger than me, you know? Absolutely. So, mm -hmm. they're, cool. they're for sure, like we were just saying, like, especially when the pandemic and lockdown hit, all of a sudden there was a shift in social media in terms of women coming out of the woodworks in terms of being willing to say the hard things that we don't normally say also making it kind of a shit show and like laughable at the same time. And I agree you very much started doing that. And then you had a shift and I love that it was a shift that you didn't really know you were going to step into, but it just kind of happened. And I love that you're saying like, it just kind of became its own thing that I didn't even recognize it was becoming because it shows how honest and authentic you really are in terms of what you're saying and the words on your TikToks and, and reels, like I feel them so, so, so deeply because it was an everyday like occurrence for me of Jonathan absolutely felt all those things. And when I did that week on dads, there's absolutely a hashtag called the tired dad, which you have created. Right. But besides that, the craziest thing is that there's not many and with the word dad and your point of view is so incredibly important. And it is for men because there's not enough of it out there and dads matter too, right? Like you guys matter so, so incredibly much. I would love to know kind of the feedback of what this has done and how this has opened a door for, for men on your side of things, right? Like I'm not getting your DMs. I don't, how has this impacted the lives of men on your side of things? Yeah, it's, um, it's crazy because 
before I did any of those videos and before I was even going to touch on that and get vulnerable, mm-hmm. I felt super awkward about it. Um, I felt that I was, it was going to be a pity party or that people were going to view me as like, oh, he's just doing it for views and like, oh, he's just doing this. Like, did he feel that? Or like, you know, like he's doing, he's setting this up Mm -hmm. and there was just so much voices in my head and I saw something, maybe it was, what's her name? Brene Brown, Mm -hmm. Brene Brown. Um, she talks a lot about vulnerability and Mm -hmm. how she stepped out and is really scared and she got backlash, but she's just like, vulnerability opens up so many conversations and gives voices to so many people Mm -hmm. that didn't have the courage or, you know, were scared to step out. And that's exactly what happened. Once I did it, the, the influx of messages I got from dads that were like, I thought I was the only one. And that's how I felt too. I was like, no one's going to relate to this. This is kind of, this is kind of weird, you know? And it was like, they were like, are you in, are you in my head? Like, Mm -hmm. are you seriously in my head? Or I went through the same thing. I'm going through the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, so much dads related to it. And then I felt they're asking me questions. Like, how did you get through it and stuff? I'm like, I don't know if I did, you know, (laughs) you know, I'm just putting it out there and that's just it. Like, that's the answer is dads being more vulnerable and then other dads going, Oh, I feel like that too. Maybe I will speak up. Maybe I'm not going crazy or maybe I'm not just weak or, you know, whatever, all the stuff that I was telling myself, there's so many dads that feel that way. Mm -hmm. So, um, just that has opened, I think the door for a lot of dads to just better themselves too, to be Mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah, maybe as far as like the drinking or drinking too much, maybe I should stop that and see what happens there if Mm -hmm. things get better. Or maybe I should start taking care of myself more, you know, just, just stuff that I've been doing that has made things better. Yeah, absolutely. Hands down, I would say that your point of, I don't know what I'm doing to get better. Like, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know if I have gotten through this. It's, like I, f- I feel that so deeply because I, I help parents day in and day out. And I literally go down to the brain because I'm like, I don't have time for this shit. Like we got to figure this out. We got to do this. And we got like, we got to full steam ahead. I'm like, let's get this shit done and let's be happy. Like, let's move on with our lives. Right. It doesn't work like that. Like it, it, it takes time, energy, effort. And when I say the word dedication, that might even feel heavy. So now you're telling me I need to add more to my plate to actually be happy or, or be mentally healthy or do the awesome. Like I have no time as it is. What do you mean in order to find happiness or in order to feel joy or in order to have the mental health that I need to be around for my family? What do you mean? That means I actually have to do more. And that means that it's not going to be overnight, especially because of the culture and world we live in. It's boop. It's like, here's a magic wand, boop, you're done, right? You can learn how to make a quiche on Instagram in probably 30 seconds. Everyone's like, if you get it down to 10, then you'll really go viral, right? That's where we're at today. And I love that you mentioned your drinking and you've been so open and public about how you have now stepped into the world of sobriety for yourself. And I would love to hear a little bit about how you dove into that world or what led you to be like, okay, I think 
this is the next step on my healing journey of finding right peace and happiness for yourself as a dad and as a human. Yeah. Um, I mean, a very long story short, but it, it goes back to when I was an early teenager and um, I did Adderall for the first time when I was like 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And looking back on it, since I was 13, since that moment until I'm 37 now, I used substances to deal with all my emotions, to deal with everything, mm. to talk to girls, to um, have a job interview, mm. to work, like everything was always some sort of substances. I remember multiple times in my life going, there's probably never going to be a time in my life where I don't do something, you know, where I'm not drinking or doing something at the end of the day mm-hmm. or something to get through life. And it was, it's been years of trying to kind of get to where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, when my daughter was born, I drank a lot. And to deal with that stress, my wife went through postpartum. Um, so to deal with her emotions, I numbed mine, you know, with everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, during 2020, I probably drank the most I've ever drank since my highest party days of high school and college. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was probably about a year ago, I said, you know, I need to get a hold of this because it's not going to get better. You know, I'm losing control. And before I didn't care, but now I have a lot more to lose, Hmm. you know, and I don't want my kids, I don't want to go through this when they're older and they can see what's happening. Do you know what I mean? I made a decision last year and I would go 30 days. I would do a dry month and then make up for it the next month. (laughs) Um, I I pretty much didn't drink all of last summer, made up for it this last fall. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was the first of this year, January. Mm-hmm. Um, I woke up feeling really terrible, really hungover. And I was reflecting on how much I could drink and still be functional. And it was a lot. I was just done like feeling like this. And it just was an overwhelming feeling of now's the time. Like now is the real time. Not like before where it was like, do a dry month. And then I can't wait for the first of next month where I drink, again. you know, I'm like done, done. I'm getting older. My kids are getting older. It was like a, um, it was just a, a wake up call, I guess. So I committed to it. Um, as you've seen from my Instagram and stuff, I've been in a cold plunges. I've been researching those for forever and I've mm-hmm. been doing cold showers and all that. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to focus on that. Because I needed to get off of my drinking every night to wind down or deal with stress, you know? So I'm like, I'm just going to focus on that. I'm doing it every single day in January. And that's what I did. And it helped a lot. And I just, I had to focus my energy on something else, you Mm -hmm. know? And it was hard. It wasn't easy. There were so many nights where I'm like, this isn't even working anymore. You know, this isn't, this isn't working. Maybe... Maybe I should just try to control it. I'm good. You know, it's been a month. I'll just kind of have a drink Mm. three times a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, since I was 13 years old, there's never been a time when I've controlled 
any substance ever and moderated anything. And, you know, my wife, I've been with her 11 years. She kind of, she told me um, this year, she said, I knew this day would come. Mm. And she was so awesome. Like this whole time, she, she's never said anything. I mean, it didn't get to the point where I'm like, it's detrimental to our family or anything. You know, I, I know it can get to a really bad place, but it was getting to a place where I was not doing well. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't good for my mental health. I just wasn't present. So she just said, I knew you would get to this point And I knew you would, I knew you would change because I know you. So I wasn't worried about it. And um, yeah, that was, that was, that helped me a lot. You know, I know a lot of people don't have a, a spouse or even a close friend, but I'm just fortunate because my wife, she is my best friend mm. and she helped me so much emotionally through it. That's amazing. And I felt bad, like that she was kind of taking on that. And I'm like, I need to find somebody else. I don't want to put all this on her, but you know, she's a big reason too you know, to have that person. And I just think somebody always needs like one person that is just going to just be there for them, not judge them, not tell them this is what they need to do, shame them, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just be there, listen, be supportive, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah. I love that. And today is day 80, by the I way. I saw that. That's and it's like incredible. I don't know if I've ever, like I said, I maybe when I was like 14 or something was like the last time I didn't haven't done anything in 80 days straight consecutive. It's crazy to think about to go, man, the last time I went a year without anything was 25 years ago. You know, it's like, geez, I've been suppressing a lot. And that was really scary, you know, Mm -hmm. to all these emotions that I just had to deal with. And it's, it's just weird. the the clarity that you get and then you start like remembering things from your childhood like Mm -hmm. I would start remembering vivid memories of when I was like seven years old Mm -hmm. like just vivid stories like almost being in that place again that same feeling and also just the presence that you can have with your children you notice their mannerisms more Mm -hmm. just when you're going on a walk you're noticing the sunset more, you know, it's just a weird clarity. You, you have to experience it. It's hard to explain, but mm-hmm. it's just your brain getting rewired to, you know, have that clarity. Absolutely. And I cannot thank you enough for sharing that vulnerability and being willing to share your story and where you're at, right? Like it's not an easy one to tell. And one of the reasons I was so incredibly drawn to you is absolutely your vulnerability, but your willingness to put it out there in terms of this is day one, this is day two, like this is the days. And when I started doing my healing many years ago, um, within my nervous system, it started with a challenge to myself and I put it online. I put it on my stories and it was like this, oh shit, like 
like, I'm such a perfectionist at this point in my life that I'm like, I can't fuck this up because they will all know and they will all see it. And so, yes, there's so many negative parts of social media, but it was such a beautiful experience for me to hold myself accountable in a way that I knew I would based on sharing it publicly. And I said I was going to walk 1500 steps for all of all of summer, June, July, and August. I missed one day, one effing day. I was so sick. I had the stomach bug. I was literally crawling, trying to get my steps in. You, Brooke, like you just got to let it be. And it's like this one day that reminds me, of course, I had to turn it into something else so I didn't just completely rip myself apart, but I was, nothing's perfect. Nothing's perfect. It's okay to have that one day be a reminder. But I don't think that individuals who just watch us, we said earlier, like, you don't know who you're, who you're touching and, and who's watching your stuff. It's so intangible. Sometimes I'll look at the number that I have and I'll be like, okay, what city has 200 K? Like what city? It was Auburn, Alabama. I'm like, okay. So like if everyone in Auburn, Alabama knew me, got it. That's the amount of capacity that we have and how we are showing up for ourselves and showing up for the individuals within our community. And it, it's not easy, but it also gives you such an account accountability that you might not otherwise have as well as of course yourself. Right. And Besides all of that, I, I wanted to talk about this and I feel that this is so important because most don't recognize that we are reaching to things such as substances or like drinking or, or drugs or like even plant-based drugs. Like we're reaching to things and I'm not saying no one should do any of this, right? Like I still drink alcohol. It's, it's not that we don't have to do these things, but we're not recognizing that exactly what you said of how you are, you did it to get through or you did it to numb or you did it to be able to cope with the world around you is a sign and individuals don't realize that it's a sign that our nervous system isn't doing well with all the different stimuli around us. And just like you said, what happens when you take away the vice, when you take away the thing that was helping you survive and maintain a level of, okay, I can make it through a day. Okay. I can make it through. Okay. Like the kids are screaming and crying, but let me just grab a drink. And I've said in a podcast before too, like I used to go home before I ever implemented this work on my own self. I used to get home at three o'clock in the afternoon after picking the kids up from school, being in traffic, all the different things. And I was like, okay, here's my, my little rosé from Trader Joe's in a box. Like that stuff's great. This is the thing that will take the edge off until bedtime. It's just going to take the edge off. And it, it did. It allowed me to get through the day while supporting Jonathan and making sure he was still doing well. And the kid, like it, it is that thing. But then yeah. you talk about how what comes up for you when you don't do that is your memory comes back. And how, how have the hard parts been for you? Like the emotional side of it been for you in terms of like childhood memories, like what you've almost had to face or be able to learn coping skills without that, that thing that was helping you get there. Yeah. Just a, a big realization. This happened like two weeks in like mid January, maybe. I don't really, it was like two or four weeks in. I realized that I went through I went through puberty, numbing mm. those feelings mm -hmm. with substances. The biggest transformation. How interesting that a boy goes through. I numbed all those things, 
So I remember a teacher in high school telling us like, it's really important that you guys don't like smoke weed and stuff right now because your brain is developing and your body's developing. Well, I know why she said that because you get older and it's almost like you didn't, I think we're supposed to learn from that experience. That's a growth. Well, what if you numb it and you never experienced it in a sense, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I was like, okay, who am I then? You know, mm-hmm. maybe I don't even know myself. So that was kind of a overwhelming feeling, like a scary feeling. So I had to go, okay, well, what am I not doing? What are the things that I'm not doing that I haven't realized about myself or how to deal with stress and, oh, maybe this is why I do this or this is why I'm worried about this and stuff. It was just kind of an overwhelming feeling of like, it was like an oh shit moment. Like, well, am I going to be able to fix this now? You know, mm-hmm. or, you know, what if my brain is like ruined or, you know, <laughs> didn't get developed in some sort of way. And then also like my anxiety went up. Like, mm-hmm. think, oh yeah, I got sober. You must feel, you must be sleeping. No, I slept horrible the first month and taking all melatonin and trying to, you know, sleep and having crazy vivid dreams and stress and worrying about everything, like everything I could think of, I worried about, you mm-hmm. know, and then also just like, just worrying about intrusive thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. worrying about stuff like feeling super fragile. I could explain it as feeling extremely, the most fragile you've ever felt. Every time you get in the car, you're like, this is going to be the last time I get in this car. And I'm going, okay, this is not normal to be thinking this. There's no way I can live like this. And then you start panicking of like, can't live like this. This is going to have to like pass soon. Or I'm just going to say, screw it and go back to my old ways of how I've dealt with it forever. Mm -hmm. You know? So it was just really overwhelming. Um, for a while it's you know I think that's why a lot of people don't stick with it yeah and I heard a somebody say on a podcast or online or something you didn't know you had a drinking problem until you got sober Hmm. and that's there's some truth to that and also I want to say like my wife and I think you seem like that can have alcohol Mm-hmm. and chill out with it. Like my wife can have one drink. I'm like, what is the point mm-hmm. of having one? It's six or nothing, mm-hmm. six or more or nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're not going to feel anything off of one. What's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm wired differently. I'm the type of person that can't, you know, mm-hmm. never have. I got alcohol poisoning first time I got drunk. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just, my grandpa died of cirrhosis of the liver from drinking at 60 he died never met him mm-hmm. so it, it can run in your blood you know you can be just wired differently and that's how i am so it, it some people get defensive you know when you say oh i quit drinking and then the people around you the friends are like oh well, can we not drink in front of you i'm like no it's not like that it's not it's it's myself it's who i am so you got to be honest with yourself. That's the first thing of who you are. And I've always known that about me. And I've always tried to fight it. Like, oh, I can control it. I can do it. I can do it. I'm like, okay, John, when the hell was the last time you controlled anything like this? Yeah. You've never been able to control it ever. 
So why, like, it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so just being honest. Absolutely. Like, being honest with yourself. Yeah. I think that you, and again, I cannot thank you enough for being here and doing this because it helps me in a way be able to explain to others. And if you're listening to this, be able to understand like, you know, John, for you, you did it in high school because, and I'm not knocking your parents. I literally say this about my own parents, like all of our parents, our generation, they did not know that asking us, Hey, how do you feel right now? Was like an incredible, an incredibly crucial part of our upbringing. And what you said was during puberty, you chose to just kind of get through it and, and, and not feel those things. And instead we need to recognize that our children have to feel that. And literally the first step that I teach my clients and it takes at least a month is how do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? Like no matter what we're talking about, it's how did you feel about that? How, because I want us to finally, the way that I said, I started doing this a few years ago for me, like I had to go through the same steps as you're doing now of like facing the things that somehow I just kept over functioning to get out of feeling the feelings of like doing so much that I never, and ignoring the, and putting it on a shelf and all the different things. And it's like, you have been teaching your brain how to function and finally feel the things that we so desperately fear because we think that we're, it's a threat to our brain and our body. It's so important. Like that's the first question to ask yourself is how do I feel right now? How do I feel right now? How do I feel right now? And I would love to ask you, how does it feel to know that you have done this for 80 days? Like, how does that feel for you when you think about that? And if you could answer with like, I feel this, I feel this, like, how do you feel? Hmm. I feel uh, better, mm-hmm. but it, it's a little more complex. I feel it's a struggle. Yeah. I, I feel I feel like I've been through a struggle. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that it was much different than what I thought it would be. Sure. And I also feel like 80 days is a lot, but at the same time, it's like nothing, you know, mm. um, just because I think there's so much more to to learn and grow from but i've learned so much in 80 days so it's like it's a lot but then not a lot if that makes sense absolutely and i realized that we're not always supposed to feel good yes like grow through struggle you know the whole yes we're not always supposed to feel good and that's a big thing is i'm like and accepting that you did stuff because you didn't want to feel bad. And the growth is through feeling bad. Yes. You know, a thousand percent. It's like the, the cold plunge. That's the whole analogy. And yeah. The whole, I think the biggest benefit, everybody talks about the whatever it does to your body, but get, doing something that's really hard and that your body literally goes into shock or fight or flight and says, no, no, no. And you just relax through it. Mm hmm. There's like, when you're done with that, when you've broken through that, it's like, you're a new person, you know, you're like, I can do hard things. Life, life is hard, you know, like that's just bottom line. It's, it's harder for others than it is for other people. But, you know, I I think everybody's going to go through something, you know, and that's the kind of scary part is we, you know, for so long, I, 
I was trying to run from that fact, mm-hmm. you know? And when you stare at your struggles and you stare at your hardships and stuff that happened to you in the past and everything and just deal with it, it's really hard at first. And it's really hard when you go through it. But there is that other side. Yes. There, I don't know when the timeline is different for everyone, but there is an, another side. Yep. And you just have to hold on to that. That's why I always say, keep showing up. Like, it doesn't matter. There's no perfect parent. We're all going to fail. We're, you know, our kids will probably grow up and say, you did this, 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 and this. And you're like, oh, God, really? I tried so hard. There's going to be something. There's just, we're human beings. Yes. We're not perfect. Our kids aren't perfect either. Yes. They won't be. But the bottom, the thing is, is you just keep going through it. It's like walking through mud. You're just going to keep going until you get to that solid ground. A thousand percent. Going. <laughs> yes, you do. And you have to, you have to learn to trust the process. Like you mm-hmm. do, like all the discomfort you were feeling, you know, stepping into the cold plunge is literally teaching what it's doing is it's teaching your brain when you get in the water, it's holy shit, I'm going to die. Like I'm, I'm going to effing die. Like that's what it, it's like. I'm, I'm about like, I'm, I'm going to lose it. Like this isn't good. Right. And then yeah. you have to, in that moment, either get the heck out or stay there and teach your brain. Okay. I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe. And what that's doing is it's extending the pa- capacity within your brain to say, nope, a bear is not chasing me. And then all of a sudden the ability for your body and your brain to move through it, calm down and regulate is it's teaching your brain and body that there is a different threshold or the window of tolerance that your brain and body can withstand. Yes, everyone goes through through things. Everyone, right? Like I have just as much, like in two weeks, it'll be two years since Jonathan passed. Like I have highs, I have lows. And I knew for me that my entire, like, I'll live with this for the rest of my life, feeling things and triggers, like all the different things, right? But I knew exactly what the first year would be. I knew exactly what I anticipated the second year being. And I have so much hope. And if my third year, because I got got big plans for third year, but like, if that is not what I think it's going to be, I'm going to be wildly disappointed. But the point is that shit is hard. There were many days where I was on the floor hysterically crying through it saying, it's okay to simply be here. Like it's okay to be here, but at the same time, trust that I know this is exactly where I need to be. This is exactly where I need to be. And just keep going. Like you said, like just keep going. And the farther out, like you said, the first month was, you think you're going to get great sleep, but your brain and body's figuring out how to hell the sleep without the stuff in it, right? It's kind of a metaphor for healing in, in a sense of every part of the word, whether you are detoxing from something or, or whether you've had a loss in your family or your divorce or, you know, a blending of families, like whatever it is, it, the bottom line is that it takes time. And I find that we so often don't recognize and have the ability to hold on to that faith and trust of time, like time, like that phrase of time will heal all. You got to trust the phrase and your brain and your body can heal, but it's not overnight like the world and the immediacy culture has led us to believe. It's just simply not. I would love to ask you one last question as a male, because I get this question often 
and individuals reach out to me, especially women, and they say, my husband's really struggling. Either A, he doesn't recognize how much or how badly he's struggling, um, and I want to help him, or he's in therapy, or he's doing this, or he's doing that, but he's still, like, he's struggling, and like, what else can I do? You know, for me, Jonathan very much struggled in his life, and emotionally, mentally, depression, anxiety, all the different things. And I tried everything. Like I literally did everything I could humanly possibly do. And I have a lot of like groundedness in that of like, I know I did everything I could do, but there's other spouses, just like your wife, like we love our partners. We want them to be here. And there was one reel where I have not posted it yet, but it's a side-by-side with you and me because I'm like almost hysterically crying at the end of it where you put on the mask. And I was like, motherfucker, like, holy shit. Like this, like just hit like a bomb. And at the end of this reel, you put up the statistics for suicide of men and the statistics, excuse me, the statistics of men and dads. And it's just like, uh, it's like, it couldn't be more true. And if, if you were sitting in front of an audience in front of all the individuals listening to this podcast, specifically any women who are like, how do I help my partner? What, what would you say to them? What can we do to support the men that we love so much and want to have mental health and healing for themselves? Yeah. I mean, personally, where I think it comes from, or I can only talk from personal experience of what yeah. I felt and what I think, but it's, it's being, I guess, kind of scared or worried that if you're honest with your spouse, um, or that if dads are honest with their wives, husbands are with their wives, then their wives are going to look at them and they're going to freak out mm. or they're going to get overwhelmed, more overwhelmed than they already are. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times dads just go, you know what? I'm just going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out and I'll just be there for her. Yep. You know? So I guess as a spouse, you, you should just be open with, you can tell me, I'm not going to freak out. I'm not, I'm going to be there for you. I'm not going to view you as, as weak or, or that you can't, you don't have the capacity to lead this family or like Mm -hmm. stuff because those are, a lot of the fears is unfortunately a lot of the messages I get from men is they're like, I did speak out and she left me. Mm. And obviously I I don't, I don't know people's personal stories, but I get that message a lot. So everybody's situation is different, but if your wife is willing to listen, say you got to let them know it's okay to be vulnerable and to be completely honest with stuff that they maybe haven't even told you or everything because it's it's just it's natural and it's easy for men to just go I'll figure it out yep I don't want to put this on them Mm -hmm. like especially because women seem to be a little bit easier being vocal you know or expressing themselves like my wife's great at expressing herself and I it doesn't come natural for me at all and it's taken me so long and so much patience from her really frustration. Let's be honest. She's been very frustrated with me for not being open and like, just say what's wrong with Share you. I feelings. know you so well. Like I could be the way I put the dishes away. What's wrong? The way I drink water. She's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> 
So she knows me so well now, but it just doesn't come natural and it's taken me forever. You know, I'm still not good at it. I, I, don't, I don't know when I'm going to be great at it, but I can get better. But yeah, I, I would just say everybody's situation is different, so it's hard. But just letting them know it's okay no matter what. Yep. That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to receive this information and it's okay. And it's not going to take away from my struggles either. Your struggles, we can struggle mm -hmm. together. It, don't worry, it's not going to take away from my struggles. Like, just be open. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that would be a step in the right direction. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is if you want to have that conversation with your spouse, in your opinion, I'm hearing to lead with a little bit of validation of like, this doesn't mean anything other than you're just having feelings. Right? I still view you as this and this, you're strong. Like give them some validation of like, it's okay to lean in. And the next thing I kind of heard from you is, active listening of like, I teach this so much with all my clients, especially with our kids, like of, of how we want to support our kids. We're not here to fix when your wife's like, what's wrong? And you're like, I'm just drinking water. Like she can't fix that. Like you're just drinking water, right? We do that as women because we're caretake. Like we literally have it in our blood. We cannot help ourselves. Like we legit can't help ourselves. But then when someone finally tells us that something's wrong, it's like, holy shit, the world's going to come to an end. And like, there's a huge fire and like all the things, because that means then we haven't done our job well enough, right? So like it's yeah. active listening. We have to not take it on and just say, thank you for sharing. Let them know. And this is exactly what I tell my clients with their kids. Don't fix with their kids, just support and thank them for sharing always because it's validating that it's okay to say the hard. And it kind of goes all the way back to you saying like, you didn't feel your feelings when you were 13 and going through puberty. You numbed out, right? Because you didn't know how to do that. And so that's the point of understanding how to regulate your nervous system and supporting your brain and body. And that's why this work matters for us as adults, because if we're just learning this now, like in our 30s, right, we need to be able to learn this so that we can support our children differently than what and how our parents did for us. Again, not saying that our parents knew any better. They didn't know, right? Now it's right. all about conscious and gentle and all the things, but like they didn't do that. It was that, it, none of that. Like sit down, eat your meal, stay silent, like be seen, not heard, right? Like that's just what it was. So asking how your partner and spouse is doing, how they're feeling and active listening, do not try to fix. Just like listen and thank them for sharing will allow men and tell me if you think I'm right or wrong here, but I believe it will hopefully allow men to feel more safe to share the next time of like, oh, wow, like, okay, that kind of felt uncomfortable, but like she listened. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I matter. Maybe my, you know, maybe I can do that again. Yeah. yeah it's, um, it, it's, it's interesting with the generational stuff. I, I was just talking to a fellow dad. It's like so many times we go, there's no way our parents had these conversations. Like there's no way they worried about this stuff. And I'm like, we could possibly be the first generation. I would say probably it started in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. but the, the dynamic of the household is shifting. Totally. Like my, my grandpa, who's 97, he's still alive. I was talking to him not too long ago. I was interviewing him. And he worked graveyard shift on the railroad. He was a sheriff. He was constantly gone. And that was their agreement that he was just going to not be there. Yep. And my grandma was going to raise the kids. 
well, what that produced is a dad that is providing, but that's it kind of there, but his, his main job is to provide. And that's how it was with a lot of people. And that's yes. just how the world was. And it's no one to blame. It's not a bad thing. But what we saw was especially sons didn't have, they had the connection to the mom, no connection to the dad. Yeah. And they weren't going to show emotion. Yes. My dad went to Vietnam when he was 17 years old, mm-hmm. you know, to potentially die. Grandpa's like, this is what, what men do. Let's go. And so it'll be fine. You're fine. Let's yeah. go. Mm-hmm. And it's like back then the mentality was men work and then die. Yep. That's it. And the wife has all the connections with the kids and they, the caregiver, but the men go and they die. It's crazy. And we might be the first generations of father. Like what happens if the dad's super involved at home and like gives his son all that emotional love and support and affection? What is that going to look like for right. me? There's this whole hot topic of it's, it makes people nervous. Like, well, make sure they stay men, make sure they stay masculine and stuff. I'm like, okay, imagine this though. Like I, and the fear of change, whatever. Right. But imagine your son growing up super confident and super good relationship with his father. He knows how to be a man. He knows how to be strong, but imagine his relationships, just his relationships, how in tune he will be with women's emotions and himself and expressing his, his relationships are going to flourish. He's going to know what he wants. Same goes for daughters, obviously. And Imagine kids that grow up and they're super confident and strong and imagine what they could achieve. You know, we're starting to see that, you know, some, some young people come out and women especially, and they're a little more confident. And I, I just think that shifting the view of a man and have, having them be strong and confident but also in tune with their emotions. Like, yep. what does that look like? Does that make them weaker? No, it makes them stronger. Mm-hmm. It makes them stronger. It makes them a- around longer, yep. you know? Yeah, yeah. I-, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think the discrepancy here is that back in other generations, it was a gender role and identity and this is what you did. And now the narrative is shifting of, neuroplasticity and your brain has the capacity to your brain can like can do these things and do men have more logic brain than emotion brain yeah they do but can you create learn and build that yeah that's literally what you're doing right now right mm-hmm. that's exactly what you're doing so it's there for the taking especially for men and for all of our kids as well I cannot thank you enough for being here today and spending this time with me. I would love for you to tell everyone how they can all find you. The Tired Dad on Instagram, the Tired Dad on TikTok for however long it's going to be around. (laughs) We're not sure if we're keeping that or not. And uh, the Tired Dad on YouTube, I I put videos on there. And tireddad.com is the website. Thank you so much. It's so nice to talk to somebody who's a lot smarter than me. Oh. So I can, <laughs> I can have all these thoughts and then you break them down, like all scientifically and psychologist wise. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. You know, the whole point of this is I think we get into the place where we have severe depression and anxiety and 
ultimately, of course, it's very near and dear to my heart of the, the topic of suicide. But I believe that one of the reasons we get to these places in our lives is because of lack of awareness and lack of understanding of like, holy shit, my brain can really do that. Oh, that's what that means when I'm in the hot, the, the cold tub, not hot. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, and if we understand it, it's like, oh, like my brain's supposed to do that. Got it. That's why it's working. Let me go do more of that because I actually know that that's working rather than just trusting, you know, a sales pitcher. You know what I mean? Like, we get to decide the knowledge that we have, and then we get to decide how we support our brain and body. And that's really, for me, what it's all about. And of course, empowering ourselves to know more for our children. So I'm so glad you're here. And thank you so much for spending this time with me. And until next time, take care of yourself. XOXO, Dr. B.